I'm your host, Louis Altazan, and today we've got Mr. Josh Wilson, the automatic transmission guru from Agco on the studio. Good morning. Well, good morning, sir. Brian, I guess, is out in the woods somewhere. No telling where Brian took off to. <laughs> he just said he was going. He I'm didn't going. Say where. I ain't saying where. There you go. <laughs> so today you have an opportunity of any kind of automatic transmission questions that you may be harboring in the back of your mind. Just give us a call. You're glad to try to give you some specialized advice now and of course as always you're not limited to whatever we happen to be talking about on the program we'll discuss any topic that might be on your mind just give us a call it's 291-6901 add a 225 to that and that'll get you right up to the top of our list that's the area code here in baton rouge if you happen to be out of state that's right and if you don't get through today on the radio and you want to send a question through the website do that www.agcoauto.com a-g-c-o-a-u-t-o.com and hit the search bar and our contact button and got one on every page and yep and you can hit the search bar and it can search for us so you may very often the question you may have has already been answered because there are several over a thousand of questions and answers and probably as many detailed topics in there so a lot of the questions that i do get are already on the site already on there sometimes i'll just send them a link to it or just tell them what to type in and sometimes i'll just go ahead and answer it again if it's quicker to do that right but if you want more information more then, information or perhaps you've bought a newer vehicle with newer technology that you haven't run across and you having a concern think there may be a problem not sure you want to kind of get a little bit more information on that we can help you out there you go yeah send us an email and i can look it up in service data or, or whatever and you know, we were talking about transmissions and and such as that. And I, you brought up the point of newer vehicles doing sort of different things. And you were telling me before the show about some of the, I think when they first went to the five speeds or the six speeds, they would maybe skip over a gear. Right. All of the shift patterns weren't just, you know, one, two, three, four, five. Sometimes it would go one, three, four, five, mm-hmm. or, you know, depending on, load you know if you're towing how hard you were getting on it perhaps is how the right is how the computer would decide which strategy to use mm-hmm. so if you're not familiar with how your car is supposed to shift you may think that it's slipping or or skipping a gear and that may be the normal operation of that vehicle mm-hmm. now they don't do that as much anymore with the higher speed transmissions and stuff and with the cvts and all no, uh, well, CVT is just very, you know, constantly varying with the, the ratios, with the ratios with the pulleys and the chain. But, you know, having seen that with the six speeds, of course, now we're getting all the 10 speeds are coming out and showing up on the road. So each one, you just have to go into service data and see what their strategy programmed from the manufacturer is and then, you know, drive that car and see if it's normal or if it's doing that. Mm hmm. Well, and you bring up a point. It's not like in the old days when you had modulators and vacuum servos and mechanical devices that determine shift. On the newer vehicles, it's strictly a computer that is taking inputs from several sensors. That is going to determine when it shifts, how it shifts, and all of those sorts of things. Right. Many, many different sensors. Everything from the temperature outside to wheel speed to manifold vacuum. Vacuum. 
load, you know, just if, if you're going uphill, downhill, everything. Mm-hmm. I know on my new Toyota, it's got a, I don't know, it's eight or 10 speed. I'll have to look that up, but a lot of gears. And I'll be driving along, and normally it seems to want to keep it at around 1,800 RPM. But if you accelerate, or let's say you're driving and you encounter a hill or an overpass, you'll see it'll jump up to 2,000. And it's so smooth, you really don't feel a shift. But you know a shift's occurred because the RPM has changed. Right. If you're up in Tennessee where there are more like mountains than there are here, you'll see it maybe jump up to 2,200 RPM or something. Right. Even to someone who's really in tune with the car, and you don't know what gear it's in anymore. Right. Not <laughs> without having a scan tool attached. Right. We had one come in... Thursday or Friday, it check engine light, and the code was for transmission component slipping, and it feels fine. You know, I don't feel anything slipping, and mm-hmm. it's, it, there's nothing. You're not even going to feel it, but the computer is seeing it through the input RPM sensors, input turbine sensors, and the output sensor. You know, those numbers are not matching up, and it's flagging that code. It's most of the time, it's not anything that the the driver is ever going to feel. Be aware of, right? Well, the RPM range is so narrow on, and that's really what all these multi-speed transmissions are about. They're really not about anything the driver is going to benefit from so much as keeping an engine in a very narrow RPM range so they can meet the emission standards. Right. It's, you know, you hear it's going from four speed to six and now up to eight and 10, and you're not really adding much on the top end right nor it's, the bottom end or the bottom you're right it's all the in between it's first second third all of that's being tightened up you're not so adding they may stick a gear between first and second they may and maybe yeah, a number between two. second and third or maybe two gears in that range correct you're not piling on more gears, gears on the on the upper end they're all being fit in between well and at one time back before they were as stringent on emissions the engines were tested for emissions by putting it on a dyno running at a certain speed and obviously the manufacturer would pick the speed where their emissions were best to test well epa got a little smarter than that now they want a more real world sort of a situation so they're operating at different mile per hour ranges to test and when the miles per hour of the engine is changed or the vehicle is changing RPM is constantly changing, and if you are optimized for, say, 1,800 RPM and you accelerate, well, then the engine speeds up. Well, it may not be optimized for that range, so it can't meet the same emissions. So by putting more gears in there, what you can do is over a wider range of mile per hour, you can keep RPM in a set range. Right. It's all about keeping the the emissions at the the optimum level so that they can get the the most benefit on their whatever government decides to tax them on mandate yeah well they got these cafe ratings and all these sorts of things and i guess by keeping it at an optimum rpm they can also improve fuel mileage to a certain degree generally fuel mileage and emissions kind of go loosely hand in hand not not lockstep but loosely hand if the engine's more efficient it's probably gonna get better fuel mileage also right let's see we got a phone call here we're going to the line with paul good morning paul good morning lewis and brian Uh, So I wanted to see if you could explain basically conceptually fuel delivery system on a vehicle causes and effects more uh, directly a question that I have related to an issue that I came across. I have a carbureted motorcycle Mm -hmm. and I have 
kind of leaned it out over the years by opening up the exhaust. I like it loud. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, I live in, in Phoenix or Scottsdale, Arizona, where typically it's pretty hot. So it runs pretty hot in the summertime. Not super hot, like it's overheating. It's air-cooled. Mm-hmm. But I took it out on a you know pretty cold winter evening the other day, and the bike seemed to overheat on me in the very cold weather. And I suspect that it was a result of basically it being carbureted. I was already running it, you know, quite lean. Mm-hmm. And by bringing the temperature down even more and riding it fairly hard for mm-hmm. quite a long time, or at least high RPMs, basically when I when I exited the highway, pulled in the clutch, the engine just stalled out. Yes. And then mm-hmm. I, I tried to start it, and it was just, you know, it was tight. Yeah. The starter would, you know, well, you could you, tell that the motor was not freewheeling like it yeah, should. Yeah, Paul, what... So you, I cooled down for a moment, and, and then it started again. Right. But, you kind of hit on the biggest failing of a carburetor. You know, the way a carburetor works, obviously, you've got a Venturi. Air flows through the Venturi, creates a vacuum, which draws fuel in. And it's roughly sort of matching the airflow to the amount of fuel based on the jet size and the exhaust and so much as that. Now, what it does not take into account is that cold air is more dense than warm air. There's more oxygen stuff in cold air because the molecules are close together. So it can't really allow for that. If you've got more air coming in and that air is more dense, then it's going to have a multiplied effect. As opposed to, say, injection, which has a barometer, which knows the density of the air. It has a temperature meter, which knows the temperature of the air, and it can allow for all these things. A carburetor can't do that except by changing the jet in the carburetor. So, and, and you can optimize the carburetor at, like, certain temperatures. You can, make, you can get a certain barometric pressure, a certain temperature, a certain RPM, and you can optimize it for that. But it can't adjust because it's physics. So I, my other, I guess, to conclude, the... By leaning the engine out, would mm-hmm. that cause it to run hotter? Yes, definitely will. And usually that balance, the way I understand it, you know, the leaner you can run it, probably the more efficient, the more power it's going to make. But To an to extent, point. yeah, when, when it's running too lean, it's 14.7 to 1 is the ideal stoichoic mixture. If you get much below that, you're actually going to start losing power. Now, if you go much above it, you're going to start losing power. So you want to try to keep it right at that range. And when you say lean it out, it's sort of a relative term, lean it out from what? You know, where was it before? It may have been too rich before. So leaning it out would result in more power. But you want to keep it pretty close to that range. And the problem is you don't know where it was before or where it was after. When you increase the flow of exhaust, what you do is just allowing more to go through. And it can kind of sort of adjust to that because airflow draws more fuel in. So it's sort of a self-balancing system, but again, it can't fine-tune for cold, hot, high barometric pressure, low barometric pressure. You start going up the mountains, and you know the air is less dense. It can't allow for those sorts of things. So, I mean, I yeah. would try to keep it at a range that was. You don't want to get too as you start to get lean, you start burning things up because the fire gets hotter and hotter. So you start mm-hmm. burning valves, you start seizing things up, and all of that. You want to keep it pretty close to the optimum range. And, again, on a motorcycle, that's going to be relatively difficult to determine without some instrumentation. I mean, if you had a gas analyzer, you could measure what's coming out of the tailpipe and tell. But cars, modern cars, have enough sensors where you can go and read the PID data off all your sensors. You can kind of determine these things or infer most of them. But on your type of application, you know, again, you got to balance out how often do you encounter these situations as a count. You know, it runs really, really good 90% of the time. 
then you may not it want does. to make a change. And, and it's really not an issue. I just mm-hmm. wanted to kind of get your input on it. I was, I was, you know, fascinated by how that, you know, you, it was kind of contradictory to what you would think. It was super cold out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd think the engine would run cool, but instead it ran way too right, hot. Right, right, because the air is more uh, dense. You know, it's yeah, sort of like, so it, if you ever notice race cars, they always got these big scoops on them. That's to scoop the cold outside air instead of hot underhood air. Because more mm-hmm. dense, you can add more fuel and you can make more power. Yeah. Now, is there anything I can do, like, I guess in that application, you know, I love just how simple and rudimentary this motorcycle mm-hmm. is. It's just a beautiful bike, and I just love simple things. Right. But is there anything I can do? I mean, I'm not planning on rejetting it or doing anything right. because it does run quite well, you know, almost all the time. Should I be running, like, a higher octane fuel, like 91? I mean, I do typically run 91 in it, but I've tried it on all different grades, and it really probably doesn't seem to make any difference. Yeah, well, but so in octane, the leaner condition, Yeah, octane and lean is two totally separate issues. I mean, the only mm-hmm. thing more octane could possibly do is if the cylinder temperature gets hot enough, it would not pre-ignite as bad because, you know, when you go higher octane, all it does is lowers the combustion rate of the fuel where it won't prematurely combust before spark goes off but it has nothing to do with how lean or how rich or really the quality of the fuel is strictly to add iso octane to the fuel to make the spontaneous combustion point higher when the compression starts to occur if the cylinder is a certain temperature and the fuel is a lower octane grade it's going to explode before the spark goes off which drives the piston back down which tears the engine up that's all that octane really does in this particular application, what do you think would be, you know, the best grade of fuel, or does it not make any difference? You could drive it. I mean, you'll hear or notice the pinging or loss of power if you need more octane. So if trying a tank or two of the higher octane makes no difference, then it's probably not necessary. That's, I guess, the easiest, simplest answer. And there's really no other benefit to the higher octane. No, no. Just, other than the you... fact that it just doesn't combust at as lower temperature. Yeah, and when we talk temperature, not talking engine temperature, talking combustion chamber temperature, mm-hmm. which you, you really can't measure. Yeah. Well, that answers my question. Thank All you right. guys very much. Okay, Paul. Where are you calling from, man? Scottsdale, Arizona. Oh, wow. Okay. Sounds great, man. Appreciate your call. Great. Thank you. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. I two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. We're going to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Ever plan to motor west? Travel my way. Take ah, yes, way. Mr. Bigfoot. Uh, make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that can lead to big, expensive problems down the road. An Agco general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. In the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, it's the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Josh Wilson, who is temporarily in the studio today. Josh is the automatic transmission guy at Agco, so if you have an automatic transmission question, it would be a perfect day to call in. If not, we will entertain a 
call on just any other any topic you might have. And I see our lines are lit up going to first line with Barry. Good morning, Barry. Uh, good morning. Happy New Year and great show. I enjoy it. Thank hey, you, sir. Good morning. I've got a new 2018 vehicle with the 10-speed, and I know you guys were talking about that. Mm-hmm. Is there any special maintenance or upkeep I should do on that transmission as far as service gets? Yeah, they're just like every other transmission is in regards of fluid and filters. Ford, which model did you say it was? It's an Expedition four-wheel drive, Okay, the new 18 model. Okay, the last Ford that I looked up, they didn't have a transmission service in their maintenance schedule guide until 150,000 miles. And, of course, it's just going to be completely depleted by then. I would still, if it were mine, I would not go beyond 50,000 miles before doing that fluid and filter. Okay. I mean, it's just, right, it's just real cheap compared to what it's going to cost to replace that transmission, and it's the only thing you can do to kind of protect it. When Ford or Toyota or Honda or whoever makes these recommendations, they'll tell you it's a lifetime transmission fluid. Well, it is lifetime because at the end of that period, that's the life of transmission. It's gone. Right, you know, right. If you can afford to throw it away at 100,000 miles, you can do that. But most people can't afford to do that. They keep the car, and you get 100,000 rolls up pretty fast, and they want to keep the car some more. Well, now it's too late to make the change. So like Josh says, if it were mine, I'd be doing around 50,000, certainly no more than 100,000 under ideal conditions. And about the only big difference, they do take specific fluids. It's not like the old day where you just had transmission fluid. Ford has about six different types of fluid. You'd have to see which one that one requires. You're most likely going to have to buy the filter through the dealership. Even if we service them, we buy the filters and all through four because just so many right. different ones are so specific. We buy the one by the VIN number of your car to make sure we got the right one. Right, and that's, okay, that's now, not anything well, you want to have cheaper aftermarket filter on just because they're so particular on their designs. The amount of pressure that the filters can, can hold. I've been seeing some filters that are have been split open and it's just because the back pressure on them can sometimes do that and if they're not a good high quality one they will actually split open on you then they do you know good at all we definitely go with the ford one and the fluid also the fluids have a whole lot of friction modifiers in them to help with the slipping on the clutches they intentionally slip a lot of clutches for shift yes shift quality Um, and that those okay. additives will break down, so you want to you want to replenish the fluid before right, right. before now, it starts showing. Well, and you signs you can never get a hundred percent of the fluid out, no matter what you do. So if you change, say, half the fluid at fifty thousand miles, and change it again at hundred thousand, you're never having completely one hundred percent depleted fluid. Whereas if you went one hundred fifty thousand miles, the fluid is one hundred percent depleted. Well, the only way to get all of it out would be to tear transmission apart. So if you change okay. it a little more often, because you get roughly about half the fluid out when you do any kind of service, whether it's a flush or a complete service. Right. And you know, I don't recommend the flush on anything, and Ford doesn't either. But when you do a proper service, you'll get about half the fluid out. So if you don't wait till it's 100% depleted. You're way, way ahead of the game. Okay. I guess that anything in, in excess of that 50,000-mile interval is just good. The yeah. You keep the fluid. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Better. Absolutely. Right. Well, as expensive as this thing was, I don't. I want it to last. That's, that's right. Sure. That's, that's right. That's how I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and going on, it's too early to tell what the 18s with the 10 speeds are going to do. But going on past history, I mean, we're seeing the the Ford six speeds coming in around 80,000 miles shuddering. Yeah, the which is from the, shutter from the fluid breakdown, and we service it, and the shutter goes away. Oh well, I need to get my F350 in then because it's at 60. Yeah, and it hadn't been touched. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I would definitely do it. It's, it's relatively inexpensive to do that, and very expensive if you don't do it. 
All right. Well, I'm going to call and make an appointment Monday. Sounds good. All right, gentlemen. All right. Thanks and appreciate the uh, show. You bet. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to line two with Tommy. Good morning, Tommy. Good morning, guys. How y'all doing? Doing today? great, sir. Very good. Good. When I heard Josh was on, I wanted to give a call because I do kind of like the previous call. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2014 Jeep Grand Cherokee. It's got the Finistore V6 with that ZF8 speed in it. And a friend of mine owns a shop, and he changed the fluid for me, and it's right about 50000 And But he doesn't know much about those ZFs. Is that is that a good transmission? Yeah, that is pretty decent transmission. It's very, very similar to the, the Ford and Chevy six-speeds. Almost almost identical on the inside. They all kind of shared technology with the six-speed. I believe that one has the pan and filter in, all integrated into one assembly. So that that, yeah, it, uh, that service should be that service was yeah. expensive. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It cost uh, the pan and filter assembly is pretty expensive just by itself and then it had the a special fluid for it. So yeah, those are pretty expensive just to to do the service on them. As far as the transmission goes, you know, haven't seen a lot of failure out of them not yet anyway. Okay, that's good to know. Um, um Lewis, I had another question for yes, you sir. about oil. Mm-hmm. I know you talked about how important it is to get your engine up to temperature so that, you know, water and that sort of thing can boil out. Right, on um, higher so, lift trips. And so I started getting curious. And, you know, these new vehicles, the command center on the dash, you can get all sorts of information. Mm-hmm. So I said it last week. I was driving to New Orleans, for, and so I said it to where it displayed the oil temperature. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how accurate that is, but it never got about 178. It was about as high as it got. So that's probably transmission that. temperature you're looking at at 178. No, that's engine oil. Engine oil? I have both. You know, it can do really? both engine and trans, and I definitely had it on engine. I'll be darned. So it seems cold. That is, yeah. Yeah, that seems really cold, but I would have to look that up as to why it would be so low. Not familiar with, with that one, but most of them run 220 or so on all temperature. You know, all runs a lot hotter than the coolant even runs because it's doing as much of the cooling and, you know, oil. Just the reason you fry with oil is because it can get a lot hotter, you know, than, than what water. Yeah. You know, if you're frying, it's a lot hotter than boiling. But, yeah, it, I would have to look that up. I'm not certain, but it seems like it ought to be more than that. Now, again, it depends on where they're taking that reading at, you know, whether they're looking at in the pan maybe, the oil may be cooler because you've got a lot of air running past it and it's a big volume. But the oil that's up on the solar walls and all that kind of stuff would probably be a lot hotter, and that's where the cleaning process is taking place. How long would it take to get to that temperature? I might just go get on the interstate this afternoon and make sure I have it set on oil temperature. Yeah, do that and see. And, again, it depends on where they're taking that temperature because it's kind of relative. They're taking the bottom of the oil pan. It may be 175 at that point because, again, you've got six or eight quarts of oil sitting there and, and, you know, coal outside air running past that pan constantly. So that temperature is going to drop considerably. But you know, if you could get up on the cylinder wall where the oil is running down, it's just a thin, thin film wall. That oil is very, very hot, and that's where it's going to take the moisture out. Okay. All right. That's good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, can I ask one more question? Yeah, go ahead. Very lucky, very generous father-in-law. He gifted the wife a 2016 Yukon. Okay. 50,000 miles on it. Mm-hmm. Great guy, but he looks to save money when he's looking at oil changes, so he clips the 1999 coupons. Mm. And he never changes it till the light comes on. So yeah. I know the oil hasn't been changed very often in that car, and I'm right. sure it's been all different sorts of oil run through it. What should my strategy be going forward from today? I mean, I would just pick a good oil 
and again, since you don't know what's been in there before, I don't know that it makes too much difference. I mean, I like the Mobile One products just because they're widely available. I mean, you can buy them at the big box stores, relatively inexpensive, particularly if you do the all changes yourself. And I would change all based on the use of the vehicle. In other words, if you're making a lot of short trips, I'd be changing around 3,000 miles. If you're making longer trips, you could push it up four or 5,000 miles. That engine is going to require Dexos specification. So, Dexos is not a brand name, it's a spec. So you have to have all that meets or exceeds Dexos to preserve the warranty on it. Now, Mobile One would exceed the Dexos spec. So you could use that, but be sure that whatever you use meets or exceeds Dexos One. That's the specification. You can't use an all that doesn't meet that because you you can end up with internal problems in the engine, particularly if it has a displacement on demand, which a lot of them do. We're getting a lot of those engines in now where people have followed the vehicle manufacturer recommendation changed all at 10,000 miles and put every kind of all under the sun and the lifters are going out in it and you, they're spending two grand to go in and change lifters out because it's popping and spitting and cutting out on cylinders and all that kind of stuff so you're not ever going to save enough money on all changes to pay for one repair i can tell you what i was thinking of doing is just you know like you said maybe a mobile one whatever and just changing it right now running it about a thousand miles and changing it again certainly wouldn't hurt kind of flush the engine a little bit mm-hmm. from whatever okay certainly would not hurt mm-hmm. all right well thank y'all for your time gentlemen all right man okay. thanks for the call bye-bye all right. all right we gotta take our second quick little break we'll be right back with more in the automotive hour So lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh, my sheep keep getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it. Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. (coughs) Not you, Denise. You're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. Ooh, but the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Josh Wilson, the automatic transmission guy from Agco Automotive. We That's sure right. appreciate any comments or questions or calls you may have. Give us a call, and we appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. We were talking just a little bit, you know, before our break and for our calls and all about some of the newer cars, the strategies and stuff, and how it may be different from the old way. I know the first few times that people bought a car with a CVT, they were kind of complaining that it didn't shift. Well, it doesn't shift. Right. And some of the, uh, I want to say it was Nissan, some of them actually put in a little... Programmed a little bump in there? Uh, programmed a little bump, like a little engine misfire, right? Just so that they would feel Feel that. like a shift? Mm-hmm. I remember when they first started coming out, with it was one of the European models that adopted that first, and they said, yeah, that was a big... They had a panel of people drive the car, and so it's not shifting right. So they just went into the computer and just put a little bump, make it feel like right. you know, just a single cylinder misfire or something like that, just to give it a little... 
jerked with and people were happy <laughs> yep and they, it's what they've felt for years 100 so. years so and if it's not there then something's got to be wrong but you know i guess all that's going away with everything else yeah well it's sort of like back when i used to do photography you know you'd push the shutter you expect to hear a shutter click well obviously with digital camera there is no shutter to click it's just all done electronically but some of the earlier cameras would make a click sound you know <laughs> gotta, gotta put the noise in there yeah they put a little noise in there so you felt better about yourself yeah. <laughs> but yeah sort of the same thing with that now one of the common email that i get and i'm just gonna pick on toyota because they seem to be more common than some of the others but they'll say they went in to get a transmission service and a dealer told them that it's a sealed transmission that there's no filter now, that is not the case, particularly with Toyota. It's no such thing as a sealed transmission. There is no dipstick on it. Right. That's pretty much all of them are have done away with the the fill tube and the dipstick. It, it's all special equipment now. You have to go underneath the car and find which plug is they uh, designated to fill the trans and which plug is actually where you check the fluid level at. Now, you have to be pretty careful with this because if you start removing plugs, some That's of the right. plugs look like a bolt, and some of the bolts on the outside of the case can hold parts internal to the transmission. There's one, and you still get that call or email or see somebody posting it up on a group that they, they pulled the, the big bolt on the top, which is the anchor for the band. Right. And they lost the band, which lost, you know, second and fifth gear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Yeah, you definitely have to know exactly what plug you're pulling out. The transmission has to be at the correct temperature. You know, you got about 30, 40 degrees range that you have to be in. Hotter or colder will throw that reading off. Mm -hmm. One of the Fords is extremely critical. If it over overfills, it's bad about the fluid aerating. And once it aerates, it gets super hot and literally melts down inside the trans hmm. pieces i mean you can't nothing that can be done with that trans to save it it's just completely melted down yeah it the temperature that it reaches just from overfilling it destroys it and what's happening is that the mechanisms inside transmission i don't want to say gears because they're not really there are gears but not so much that it's just all these mechanisms spinning around through that oil mm-hmm. throwing it up into the air so it causes what we call aeration it's just bubbles Correct. of air entering into the fluid which is going to break up the lubricating ability of the fluid. Right. Now, if once, the intake is sucking in air bubbles right. rather than pure fluid. Yeah. You would be amazed at what that temperature can skyrocket to in a short amount of time once it's full of air. And, of course, the same exact thing can happen from being underfilled. Right. If you're not, if you're too low and your filter's drawing in air, mm-hmm. that aerates it also. So mm-hmm. you really have to be careful and get the fluid level just right. I mean, it was... A, Common that's, back that's in the always days. been a problem getting the fluid level right yeah getting the fluid level right but i mean it was nothing in the older days to add an extra quart right you know, maybe some could even take a couple extra quarts mm-hmm. you just have to know what your transmission is capable of holding tolerating yeah is toler- can tolerate one of the older gms would need an extra two quarts because they they put that level so low mm-hmm if it was going up a hill or around a corner, it, it might could draw actually air. draw air. Well, you know, some of the old cars with a dipstick, 
fluid level was real low, it would aerate the fluid, which would pump up a bunch of bubbles on the stick. People would just look at that reading on the stick and say, well, it's right. full. Right. We used to get cars all the time. People would check it and say, it's full, it's full, it's full. And we would check it and say, no, it's three quarts low. Right. Or it'll be, it'll get, catch some splash and it'll be full on one side of the stick right. and nothing on the other side right. of the stick. And the lower reading the is lower always going to be the, the correct, correct reading. So let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Eugene online. Good morning, Eugene. Yes, sir. Appreciate y'all taking my call. Yes, sir. I'm working on a 2002 Dodge Neon. It's got the little 604 automatic. It's not shifting out. And it, the code is uh, indicating it's for the transmission control relay. Yes. I find that it's getting power from the fuse to one of them, but the other one looks like it comes through the transmission control module to give it power. Right. That's something you just have to have the the wiring diagram and trace out, make sure that relay is getting powered up, and then that power is getting to the transmission. Well, it's not coming through the transmission control re, uh, module. Those did have a lot of com, uh, controllers go out. It was not uncommon at all to have to put a transmission computer in those. You is know, is that separate from the engine computer? Yes. Yes. That is a separate module. Where would, where would that maybe be located? I know that's asking a lot for something that old. It should be right up under the hood. I don't know exactly where that one was located at, but it should be on one of the fender wheels. Some of them are actually in, not on that model, but a lot of them are inside the pan now. The transmission yeah. control models no, on yeah, some not vehicles, on the, yeah, not on that one. but Yeah, on wow. the newer ones, a lot of them are integrated onto the valve body. It's it's uh, a control module. It's uh, high, hydraulic and electric module all integrated into one mm-hmm. someone that told me it may be that solenoid block or something not setting a relay code okay that, that solenoid yeah. block is not going to set that relay it would, code. it would set a, that's gonna be a circuit code uh, it would set a pressure code if the if the block wasn't operating properly so i notice it's got a pressure solenoid also yes is if, is that possible that it's not the power going through it first to let the transmission control module know what to do? No, the, if it, if you're setting that transmission relay code, you're going to be outside the transmission. Don't even be looking inside the yeah, transmission. Some type of electrical issue, right? Okay. Well, I thank you, and y'all got a wonderful show. We all enjoy it. Well, thank yes, you, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. <laughs> got check. See, our Comrex is not working, so I'm not sure who's online. We've got Brandon online. Good morning, Brandon. Hey, good morning. Yes, sir. I got an 06 Chevy Silverado with a 4.8. It burns about a quart and a half for all, you know, in between all changes. Okay. Should I be worried about that? What's your all change interval, Brandon? I go about four, 4,000. No, no. Quart and a half and 4,000 miles is within the parameter of that engine. All engines burn a certain amount of all. Some burn more than others. Those little engines... GM says a quart and a thousand is acceptable. You know, I think that's a little excessive, but that's GM spec on it. So, yeah, if you're like quart, quart and a half in eighteen, you know, in four thousand miles, I mean, the fix is way worse than the problem. You know, I mean, right. the, the fixes go in, and change the rings and valve sims and all in the engine. You go spend thousands of dollars for something that just ain't a problem. I mean, so long as it's not excessive, you know, it starts burning a quarter, five hundred, a thousand out spark plugs. Obviously, you got to do something. But right. yeah, that small of an amount. Really not a big issue. Now, what all would you recommend for this engine? I normally buy, you know, from Walmart, Quaker, whatever's on sale and be consistent with Well, that. if you're changing the type of all you're using, that can make it use all in and of itself. Because right. all of the majors are going to be good, but they're not all compatible. 
and there's the additive packages and all the different oils are going to be different and that in itself can make them burn oil what i would do is pick one oil whatever you've been using the most of and stay with the one oil 5w30 specifically you know that exact all every single time and you may see some of that usage clear up okay i mean i've seen people change all type go from and i'm just gonna pull a name out the air just say they were using castrol and they go to quaker state and it'll start using all or vice versa you know it just the the, the same specification all both 5w30s and all but the additive packages weren't exactly compatible and that in and of itself can make it so you go back to the original all and sometimes it'll take up Right. And a transmission question. I bought this truck with 90000 I'm at 140 I'm sure I need to go ahead and service this transmission. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, I also heard a lot of people who do this say after they change it, they will have trouble with the transmission. Well, you know what happens there, and I hear this question all the time. It's not the service that caused the problem. It's 140,000 miles without the service. In other words, it was going to fail because it went so long without a service. They serviced it and failed thereafter. Well, it's kind of like a guy 95 years old. He never ate a banana. He eats a banana. Two days later, he dies. Will the banana kill him or is it 95 years, you know? Yeah. It's that sort of thing. A proper service cannot ever hurt it. Okay. Now, the key word there is proper. I mean, obviously, if you go in and put the wrong fluid, the wrong filter, knock a wire off a solenoid, you can make have problems. But... A proper service can never, ever hurt it and can't extend the life of it. Sounds good. I appreciate the info. Y'all have a good day. Okay, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. All right. Let's see. We get time for one more call there. Let's see. We're going line with Dwight. Good morning, Dwight. Oop, Oop, I think we lost him. him. There you go. You were going to. Yeah, uh, that, that previous caller, uh, mm-hmm. that's not all that difficult of a transmission to service, but you will need a special tool to get the filter seal out. Right. And if you don't change that filter seal the filter can actually fall out because the right. seal retains the filter. Right. The rubber just kind of gets hard and, and brittle and doesn't doesn't seal off real good. So you do want to make sure that filter seal gets changed. Right. Which just falls into the proper service. Right. We're going to take a quick little break. Be right back with a whole lot more. Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodrich. Uh, relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate. And if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues, uh, but for peace of mind, schedule an annual general inspection with Agco Automotive. They'll Check out your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and let you know about future repairs. Sad ways, there are no surprises. Well, you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked. A young girl once told me there's no place like home. And I've got to go. Just bill me. I'll be somewhere over the rainbow. Toodaloo! That little witch might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm Lewis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our check from the transmission department, Mr. Josh Wilson. That's right. Almost said, Brian. I know you did. <laughs> Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Dwight online. Good morning, Dwight. Hey, good morning, guys. How's it going? Doing great, sir. Very good. Hey, I'm going to be changing some front brake rotors on a 2007 Honda Odyssey. Okay. And my question was about the part. I know from listening to your show, you guys are are real big on always doing factory parts, but my my wallet is is hurting here because it's it's three times 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as much as and you know, really, about. Dwight, the aftermarket rotors, all the brand name ones, are seem to be pretty darn good. I mean, if you lived up in Minnesota, where there's a huge amount of road salts, the biggest difference is that the factory rotor has a lot more nickel content in it, which prevents the corrosion and all. But down here, that's really not much of a problem. So as long gotcha. as you buy a name brand, you'll probably be just fine with it. And like I said, there's a huge amount of difference. There's certain parts that I will use aftermarket. One is a brake rotor if it's a good brand available. No one's like a radiator if it's a good brand available. Because, you know, Ford, Chrysler, Toyota, they don't make radiators. They buy them from somebody else, just like everybody else. So if I can get a Denso radiator, which made the original one for the Toyota, and it's half the price, well, yeah, why not, you know? Gotcha. So something like a Brembo would be fine, you think? Uh, yeah, yeah. Just you know, you don't want like a white box Chinese rotor because a lot of those are not cut true, and you'll end up with as much shutter before as you had, you know, after as you had before. But almost any of the name brands, you're gonna be okay. Okay. And this, Very this good, guys. That answers my question. Yeah. Thank, right, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I would just stay with the Honda pads. Uh, yeah. The Honda pads are not very expensive from the dealer. Right. You definitely do not want aftermarket and, brake pads. That's a whole different story there. Right. And Honda is very reasonable on their pads. They're somewhere in the 60 to $70 range. They come with the shims. Right. They come shims, everything you need. Much, much better product and not that much more than an aftermarket pad. Right. You just got to kind of know what you can get by with aftermarket, what you can't. You know, there's certain parts, like I said, like a brake rotor or a radiator. If it's a good quality aftermarket, you're going to be okay. Other parts, like, say, an alternator, particularly on a Honda. Man, you buy any aftermarket part, that light is going to be flickering. It's going to come on. It's going to last six months, and you're going to be right back in doing the job again. you got to go OEM. And to add a little bit more salt to the wound on that, Honda will not take a aftermarket. Another, an aftermarket core. So you have to go back and buy a Honda alternator with like a hundred dollar core and you don't get that hundred dollar core so right you you just added another expense to that bill right because yeah they won't uh, they want to get back that honda product so they can rebuild it right because all the alternators you're gonna buy are gonna be rebuilt and there are more and more of them that will not accept an aftermarket core that's right so you're gonna end up paying a core charge on top of the already <laughs> already <laughs> exorbitant ex- expensive and on top of buying the cheap aftermarket. Well, that's right. And, you know, I tell people all the time, they'll ask about aftermarket and da-da-da. I said, well, the reason I use OEM is because it's cheaper. I said, no, it costs a lot more. I said, no, it's cheaper. Because it's going to last twice as long. It's not going to tear anything else up. And, you know, I'm going to cut all these problems. It's going to be cheaper for me to use this part. That's why I use it. I'm looking for the overall lowest cost, not the lowest price. Right. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize how much – time we have to spend keeping track of these companies and Mm -hmm. because you can have a company that has a real real good product and that company can be sold keep the name Mm -hmm. and have a completely different product well yeah a new ceo comes in he's gonna get the profits up so he fires all r&d people goes gets the stuff made offshore puts it in the same box that's right it'll take you a while to figure that out right once you figure that out then you got a whole bunch of cars out there running that you're going to see again Mm -hmm. having to get that off of there and and make it right I remember years and years ago in the Baton Rouge area, there was a guy coming around selling antifreeze in the back of a pickup truck. And he had 55-gallon drums of antifreeze for about half the price of everybody else. And he did come by the shop. I told him, no thanks. You know, I want to know where my antifreeze is coming from. But a lot of people did buy it. And this stuff had way too much saline in it. And, boy, it ate up cooling systems. I mean, for a while there, we couldn't – this has been probably 30 years ago – but for mm-hmm. a while then, we couldn't even keep 
cars, I mean, water pumps, radiators, heater cores going out right and left is because of this defective antifreeze that had been pushed into the market. Yeah. And, and you want to talk about hurt, hurt a business. I mean, same thing with the transmission industry. You get a big batch of 500 gallons of bad fluid. That's a whole lot of cars out there with bad fluid in mm-hmm. it. Yeah, you definitely have to keep up with where it's coming from and make sure that, that their supply chain doesn't change. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's not just public information. No. They change CEOs, change the board of directors, whatever, sell the company, and that's not really announced. They just do it. And what they do, this new guy comes in, well, he's going to get the profits up. Well, mm-hmm. he gets the profits up. First thing he does, like I say, he fires all R&D people because he ain't researching and developing nothing. Well, right. the profits go up because those salaries have been cut. Next thing, he closes down the factory. Well, again, the, he sells the property as a subdivision, and the profits go up. He goes over offshore somewhere and starts buying his junk, putting the same box. It's going to take a long time for everybody to figure that out. In the interim, he's going to make a killing. Yeah. Because he just cut his expenses by 90%. Right, and that, we had that eight, ten years ago, had that ordering transmission filters. We always liked, since I was a kid, we used a certain brand brand called Filtran, mm-hmm. SPX Filtran. Mm-hmm. And that, that was just top of the line, top of the line. And all of a sudden, these these cheap filters come in, and I send them back and call my parts rep and tell them, this is not the right filter. And she said, yes, that's SPX Filtran. Well, mm-hmm. a couple of months of investigating, Filtran moved their production to China. Right. And I could feel and see the difference in the filter that was coming, so we had to make a change. Right. And until you figure that out, now in a shop, because we buy 30 filters a week, we're going to figure it out a lot faster than an individual who buys maybe a filter every three years. Right. And also just somebody who's seen it yeah, for you, years and You years know and what years. a filter's supposed to look like. Uh, yeah, I know how it, how heavy it's supposed to be when I pick it up, mm-hmm. you know, the the material that it's made out of, if it doesn't feel right. Well, you push on it with your thumb, and if it dents in, you know this is not the same filter I had before. Yeah, something's not right here. Remember that happened with shock absorbers many, many years ago, and it was a certain brand. I'm not going to mention on the name on the air, but we used to use it consistently, and there's a little decal on it with the brand name, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden one day I get a shock, and I look, and that decal's crooked, and that bothers me because I just got that kind of mind. You know, that bugs me. And I even called a company. I'm like, hey, that decal's crooked, man. What happened? <laughs> you know, and well, after a year or so, you start getting these things back leaking and locking up and all that. Well, they've moved their production offshore somewhere, and the product is absolute junk now. So right. you just had to discontinue use of that and go find something that was actually going to work. I see we are just about totally out of time. We need to start winding on up, getting ready to get on out of here. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.